Welcome to Fast Asleep. Hey, can you believe it? We've managed to record one episode a week for a few weeks now. That um, medical situation, just knock on wood, might be improving. Okay, get ready. I want you to picture something. During a three-week-long transatlantic freighter crossing from New York to Italy in 1950, Truman Capote wrote our story for today's episode. Yeah, and this is the only Capote story with a gay male relationship at its core. Now, other than short stories, Truman Garcia Capote wrote novels, novellas, and screenplays. Well, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's and In Cold Blood, they're literary classics. More than 20 films and television dramas have been developed from his works. Oh, yes, and think about it, folks. If you're in a Christmas mood in the summer, and who isn't? You can always go back to episode 177 of Fast Asleep to listen to Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. It's a really good one. Now, Capote played a very important part in the emergence of gay rights. Decades and decades ago, he very bravely and openly identified himself as a gay man when others rarely did it. And he encouraged others to do the same. So, like all of Truman Capote's works, let's talk about today's story. It travels along in a very relatable and authentic way. And it's important, perhaps, to note that this takes place in roughly 1950 in the segregated South. And there is some reference to that. Are you ready? Let's tuck in. Tuck in, everybody, and enjoy Truman Capote's A Diamond Guitar. The nearest town to the prison farm is 20 miles away. Many forests of pine trees stand between the farm and the town, and it is in these forests that the convicts work. They tap for turpentine. The prison itself is in the forest. You'll find it there at the end of a red rutted road, barbed wire, sprawling like a vine over its walls. Inside, there live 109 white men, 97 Negroes, and one Chinese. There are two sleep houses, great green wooden buildings with tar paper roofs. The white men occupy one the Negroes, and the Chinese, the other. In each sleep house, there is one large pot-bellied stove. But the winters are cold here, and at night, with the pines waving frostily and a freezing 
light falling from the moon. The men, stretched on their iron cots, lie awake with the fire colors of the stove playing in their eyes. Now the men whose cots are nearest to the stove are the important men, those who are looked up to or feared. Mr. Schaefer is one of these. Mr. Schaefer, for that is what he's called, it's a mark of special respect, is a lanky, pulled-out man. He has reddish, silvering hair, and his face is attenuated, religious. There is no flesh to him, or you can see the workings of his bones, and his eyes are a poor, dull color. He can read, and he can write, and he can add a column of figures. When another man receives a letter, he brings it to Mr. Schaefer. Most of these letters are sad, oh, and complaining. And very often, Mr. Schaefer improvises more cheerful messages and does not read what is written on the page. In the sleep house, there are two other men who can read. Even so, one of them brings his letters to Mr. Schaefer, who obliges by never reading the truth. Mr. Schaefer himself does not receive mail, not even at Christmas. He seems to have no friends beyond the prison, and actually he has none there. I mean, that is no particular friend. Oh, this was not always true. One winter Sunday, some winters ago, Mr. Schaefer was sitting on the steps of the sleep house, carving a doll. He is quite talented at this. His dolls are carved in separate sections and then put together with bits of spring wire. The arms and legs move. The head rolls. When he's fi finished a dozen or so of these dolls, the captain of the farm takes them into town, and there they are sold in a general store. In this way, Mr. Schaefer earns money for candy and tobacco. That Sunday, as he sat cutting out the fingers for a little hand, a truck pulled into the prison yard. A young boy, handcuffed to the captain of the farm, climbed out of the truck and stood blinking at the ghostly winter sun. Mr. Schaefer only glanced at him. He was then a man of fifty, and seventeen of those years he'd lived at the farm. The arrival of a new prisoner could not arouse him. Sunday is a free day at the farm, and other men, who were moping around the yard, crowded down to the truck. Afterward, Pickaxe and Goober stopped by to speak with Mr. Schaefer. Pickaxe said, He's a foreigner, that new one is, from Cuba, but with yellow hair. It's a knifer, Cap'n says, said Goober, who was a knifer himself, cut up a sailor in Mobile. Well, two sailors, 
said Pickaxe. But just a cafe fight. He didn't hurt them boys none. You cut off a man's ear, you call that not hurting him? They give him two years, Cap'n says. Pickaxe said, he's got a guitar with jewels all over it. It was getting too dark to work. Mr. Schaefer fitted the pieces of his doll together and, holding its little hands, set it on his knee. He rolled a cigarette. The pines were blue in the sundown light, and the smoke from his cigarette lingered in the cold, darkening air. Oh, he could see the captain coming across the yard. The new prisoner, a blonde, young boy, lagged a pace behind. He was carrying a guitar studded with glass diamonds that cast a starry twinkle, and his new uniform was too big for him. It looked like a Halloween suit. Somebody for you, Schaefer, said the captain, pausing on the steps of the sleep house. Now, the captain was not a hard man. Occasionally, he invited Mr. Schaefer into his office, and they would talk together about things they'd read in the newspaper. Tico Feo, he said, as though it were the name of a bird or a song. This is Mr. Schaefer. You do like him, and you'll do all right. Mr. Schaefer glanced up at the boy and smiled. He smiled at him longer than he meant to, for the boy had eyes like strips of sky, blue as the winter evening, and his hair was as gold as the captain's teeth. He had a fun-loving face, nimble, clever, and looking at him, Mr. Schaefer thought of holidays and good times. Mm. He's like my baby sister, said Tico Feo, touching Mr. Schaefer's doll. His voice, with its Cuban accent, was soft and sweet as a banana. She, she sit on my knee also. Mr. Schaefer was suddenly shy. Bowing to the captain, he walked off into the shadows of the yard, he stood there, whispering the names of the evening stars as they opened in flower above him. The stars were his pleasure, but tonight they did not comfort him. They did not make him remember that what happens to us on earth is lost in the endless shine of eternity. Gazing at them, the stars he thought of the jeweled guitar and its worldly glitter. It could be said of Mr. Schaefer that in his life he'd done only one really bad thing. He'd killed a man. The circumstances of that deed are unimportant except to say that the man deserved to die and that for it, Mr. Schaefer was sentenced to 99 years and a day. For a long while, for many years in fact, he had not thought 
of how it was before he came to the farm. His memory of those times was like a house where no one lives and where the furniture has rotted away. But tonight, it was as if lamps had been lighted through all the gloomy, dead rooms. It had begun to happen when he saw Tico Feo coming through the dusk with his splendid guitar. Until that moment, he had not been lonesome. Now, recognizing his loneliness, he felt alive. He had not wanted to be alive. To be alive was to remember brown rivers where the fish run and sunlight on a lady's hair. Mr. Schaefer hung his head. Oof, this glare of the stars had made his eyes water. The sleep house usually is a glum place. Oh, stale with the smell of men and stark in the light of two unshaded electric bulbs. But with the advent of Tico Feo, it was as though a tropic occurrence had happened in the cold room. For when Mr. Schaefer returned from his observance of the stars, he came upon a savage and garish scene. Sitting cross-legged on a cot, Tico Feo was picking at his guitar with long swaying fingers and singing a song it sounded as jolly as jingling coins. Now, though the song was in Spanish, some of the men tried to sing it with him, and Pickaxe and Goober were dancing together. Charlie and Wink were dancing, too, but separately. Oh, it was nice to hear the men laughing. And when Tico Feo finally put aside his guitar, why, Mr. Schaefer was among those who congratulated him. You deserve such a fine guitar, he said. This diamond guitar, said Tico Feo, drawing his hand over its vaudeville dazzle. Once, I have one with rubies, but that one is stole. In Havana, my sister, she work in a, uh, how you say, where, where make guitar, is how I have this one. Mr. Schaefer asked him if he had many sisters, and Tico Feo, grinning, held up four fingers. Then, his blue eyes narrowing greedily, he said, Please, mister, you give me doll for my two little sister. Well, the next evening, Mr. Schaefer brought him the dolls. After that, it... <sighs> Well, he was Tico Feo's best friend, and they were always together. At all times, they considered each other. Tico Feo was 18 years old, and for two years had worked on a freighter in the Caribbean. As a child, he'd gone to school with nuns, and he wore a gold crucifix around his neck. He had a rosary, too. The rosary he kept wrapped 
in a green silk scarf that also held three other treasures. A bottle of Evening in Paris cologne, a pocket mirror, and a Rand McNally map of the world. These and the guitar were his only possessions, and he would not allow anyone to touch them. Perhaps he prized his map the most. At night, before the lights were turned off, he would shake out his map and show Mr. Schaefer the places he'd been. Galveston, Miami, New Orleans, Mobile, Cuba, Haiti, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and the places he wanted to go to. He wanted to go almost everywhere, especially Madrid. Oh, especially the North Pole. This both charmed and frightened Mr. Schaefer. It hurt him to think of Tico Feo on the seas and in far places. He sometimes looked defensively at his friend and thought, Oh, you're just a lazy dreamer. It is true that Tico Feo was a lazy fellow. After that first evening, he had to be urged even to play his guitar. At daybreak, when the guard came to rouse the men, which he did by banging a hammer on the stove, oh, Tico Feo would whimper like a child. Sometimes he pretended to be ill, moaned and rubbed his stomach, but he never got away with this, for the captain would send him out to work with the rest of the men. He and Mr. Schaefer were put together on a highway gang. Oh, it was hard work, digging at the frozen clay and carrying croaker sacks filled with broken stone. The guard had always to be shouting at Tico Feo, for he spent most of the time trying to lean on things. Each noon, when the dinner buckets were passed around, the two friends sat together. There were some good things in Mr. Schaefer's bucket, as he could afford apples and candy bars from the town. He liked giving these things to his friend, for his friend enjoyed them so much, and he thought, you are growing it will be a long time until you are a grown man. Not all the men liked Tico Feo because they were jealous or for more subtle reasons, and some of them told ugly stories about him. Tico Feo himself seemed unaware of this. When the men gathered around him and he played his guitar and sang his songs, you could see that he felt he was loved. Most of the men did feel a love for him. They waited for and depended upon the hour between supper and lights out. Tico, play your box, they would say. They did not notice that afterward, there was a deeper sadness than there had ever been. Sleep jumped beyond them like a jackrabbit, and their eyes lingered ponderingly on the firelight that creaked behind the grating of the stove. 
Mr. Schaefer was the only one who understood their troubled feeling. Well, he felt it too. It was that his friend had revived the brown rivers where the fish run and the ladies with sunlight in their hair. Soon, Tico Feo was allowed the honor of having a bed near the stove and next to Mr. Schaefer. Mr. Schaefer had always known that his friend was a terrible liar. He did not listen for the truth in Tico Feo's tales of adventure, of conquests and encounters with famous people. Rather, he took pleasure in them as plain stories, such as you would read in a magazine. And it warmed him to hear his friend's tropic voice whispering in the dark. Except that they did not combine their bodies or think to do so, though such things were not unknown at the farm. They were as lovers. Of the seasons, spring is the most shattering. Stalks thrusting through the earth's winter-stiffened crust. Young leaves cracking out on old, left-to-die branches. The falling-asleep wind cruising through all the newborn green. And with Mr. Schaefer, it was the same. A breaking up a flexing of muscles that had hardened. It was late January. The friends were sitting on the steps of the sleep house, each with a cigarette in his hand. A moon, thin and yellow as a piece of lemon rind, curved above them, and under its lights, threads of ground frost glistened like silver snail trails. <clears throat> For many days, Ticofeo had been drawn into himself, silent as a robber waiting in the shadows. It was no good to say to him, Tico, play your box. He would only look at you with smooth, under-ether eyes. Tell a story, said Mr. Schaefer, who felt nervous and helpless when he could not reach his friend. Uh, tell about when you went to the racetrack in Miami. I not ever go to no racetrack, said Tico Feo, thereby admitting to his wildest lie, one involving hundreds of dollars and a meeting with Bing Crosby. He did not seem to care. He produced a comb and pulled it sulkily through his hair. A few days before, oh, this comb had been the cause of a fierce quarrel. One of the men, Wink, claimed that Tico Feo had stolen that comb from him, to which the accused replied by spitting in his face. They had wrestled around until Mr. Schaefer and another man got them separated. Is my comb, you tell him, Tico Feo had demanded of Mr. Schaefer. But Mr. Schaefer with quiet firmness, had said, no, it was not his friend's comb. 
an answer that seemed to defeat all concerned. Ah, said Wink. If he wants it so much, Christ's sake, let the son of a bitch keep it. And later, in a puzzled, uncertain voice, Tico Feo had said, I thought you was my friend. I am, Mr. Schaefer had thought, though he said nothing. I not go to no racetrack, and what I said about the widow woman, that is not true also. He puffed up his cigarette to a furious glow and looked at Mr. Schaefer with a speculating expression. Say, you have money, mister? Uh, maybe twenty dollars, said Mr. Schaefer, hesitantly, afraid of where this was leading. Hmm, not so good twenty dollar, Tico said, but without disappointment. No important, we, we work our way. In Mobile, I have my friend Frederico. He will put us on a boat. There will not be trouble. <laughs> and it was as though he were saying that the weather had turned colder. There was a squeezing in Mr. Schaefer's heart. He could not speak. Nobody here can run to catch Tico. He run the fastest. Shotguns run faster, said Mr. Schaefer, in a voice hardly alive. I'm too old, he said, with the knowledge of age churning like nausea inside him. Tico Feo was not listening. Then the world, the world, el mundo, my friend. Standing up, he quivered like a young horse. Everything seemed to draw close to him. The moon, the callings of screech owls. His breath came quickly and turned to smoke in the air. Should we go to Madrid? Maybe. Someone teach me to bullfight, you think so, mister? Mr. Schaefer was not listening either. I'm too old, he said. I'm too old damned old. For the next several weeks, Tico Feo kept after him. The world, el mundo, my friend. And he wanted to hide. He would shut himself in the toilet and just hold his head. Nevertheless, he was excited, tantalized. What if what if it could come true? The race with Tico across the forests and to the sea. And he imagined himself on a boat. He, who had never seen the sea, whose whole life had been land-rooted. During this time, one of the convicts died. And in the yard, you could hear the coffin being made as each nail thudded into place. Mr. Schaefer thought, This 
is for me. It is mine. Ticofeo himself oh, was never in better spirits. Oh, he sauntered about with a dancer's snappy, gigolo grace and had a joke for everyone. In the sleep house, after lights out, his fingers popped at the guitar like firecrackers. He taught the men to cry, Ole! And some of them sailed their caps through the air. When the work on the road was finished, Mr. Schaefer and Tico Feo were moved back into the forests. On Valentine's Day, they ate their lunch under a pine tree. Mr. Schaefer had ordered a dozen oranges from the town, and he peeled them slowly, the skins unraveling in a spiral. The juicier slices he gave to his friend, who was proud of how far he could spit the seeds, a good ten feet. It was a cold, beautiful day. Scraps of sunlight blew about them like butterflies, and Mr. Schaefer who liked working with the trees, oh, felt dim and happy. And then Tico Feo said, That one, he no could catch a fly in his mouth. And he meant Armstrong, a hog-jowled man sitting with a shotgun propped between his legs. He was the youngest of the guards and new at the farm. Oh, I don't know, said Mr. Schaefer. He'd watched Armstrong and noticed that, like many people who are both heavy and vain, the new guard moved with a skimming lightness. He might could fool you. I fool him, maybe, said Tico Feo, and spit an orange seed in Armstrong's direction. Oh, the guard scowled at him and then blew a whistle. It was the signal for work to begin. Sometime during the afternoon, the two friends came together again. That is, they were nailing turpentine buckets onto trees that stood next to each other. At a distance below them, a shallow, bouncing creek branched through the woods. In water, no smell, said Dico Feo meticulously, as though remembering something he'd heard. We run in the water until dark. We climb a tree. Yes, mister? Mr. Schaefer went on hammering, but his hand was shaking, and the hammer came down on his thumb. He looked around dazedly at his friend. His face showed no reflection of pain, and he did not put the thumb in his mouth the way a man ordinarily might. Tico Feo's blue eyes seemed to swell like bubbles, and when, in a voice quieter than the wind sounds in the pine tops, he said, Tomorrow, these eyes were all that Mr. Schaefer could see. Tomorrow, mister...
tomorrow, said Mr. Schaefer. The first colors of morning fell upon the walls of the sleep house, and Mr. Schaefer, who had rested little, knew that Tico Feo was awake too. With the weary eyes of a crocodile, he observed the movements of his friend in the next cot. Tico Feo was unknotting the scarf that contained his treasures. First, he took the pocket mirror. Its jellyfish light trembled on his face. <laughs> For a while, he admired himself with serious delight and combed and slicked his hair as though he were preparing to step out to a party. And then he hung the rosary about his neck. The cologne he never opened, nor the map. The last thing he did was to tune his guitar. While the other men were dressing, he sat on the edge of his cot and tuned the guitar. It was strange, for he, he must have known he would never play it again. Bird shrills followed the men through the smoky morning woods. They walked, single file, fifteen men to a group, and a guard bringing up the rear of each line. Mr. Schaefer was sweating, as though it were a hot day, and he could not keep in marching step with his friend, who walked ahead, snapping his fingers and whistling at the birds. A signal had been set. Tico Feo was to call time out and pretend to go behind a tree. But Mr. Schaefer did not know when it would happen. The guard named Armstrong blew a whistle, and his men dropped from the line and separated to their various stations. Mr. Schaefer, though going about his work as best he could, took care always to be in a position where he could keep an eye on both Tico Feo and the guard. Armstrong sat on a stump, a chew of tobacco lopsiding his face, and his gun pointing into the sun. He had the tricky eyes of a card sharp. You could not really tell where he was looking. Once, another man gave the signal. Although Mr. Schaefer had known at once that it was not the voice of his friend, panic had pulled at his throat like a rope. As the morning wore on, there was such a drumming in his ears. He was afraid he would not hear the signal when it came. The sun climbed to the center of the sky. Ah, he is just a lazy dreamer. It will never happen, thought Mr. Schaefer, daring a moment to believe this. But first we eat, said Tico Feo, with a practical air, as they set their dinner pails on the bank above the creek. And they ate in silence, almost as though each 
bore the other a grudge. But at the end of it, Mr. Schaefer felt his friend's hand close over his own and hold it with a tender pressure. Mr. Armstrong, time out. Near the creek, Mr. Schaefer had seen a sweet gum tree, and he was thinking it would soon be spring and the sweet gum ready to chew. A razory stone ripped open the palm of his hand as he slid off the slippery embankment into the water. He straightened up and began to run. His legs were long. He kept almost abreast of Tico Feo, and icy geysers sprayed around them. Back and forth through the woods, the shouts of men boomed hollowly like voices in a cavern. And there were three shots, all high-flying, as though the guard were shooting at a cloud of geese. Mr. Schaefer did not see the log that lay across the creek. He thought he was still running, and his legs thrashed about him. It was as though he were a turtle stranded on its back. While he struggled there, it seemed to him that the face of his friend, suspended above him, was part of the white winter sky. It was so distant, judging. It hung there but an instant, like a hummingbird. Yet in that time, he'd seen that Tico Feo had not wanted him to make it, had never thought he would. And he remembered once thinking that it would be a long time before his friend was a grown man. When they found him, he was still lying in the ankle-deep water, as though it were a summer afternoon and he were idly floating up the stream. Since then, three winters have gone by, and each has been said to be the coldest, the longest. Two recent months of rain washed deeper ruts in the clay road leading to the farm, and it is harder than ever to get there, harder to leave. A pair of searchlights has been added to the walls, and they burn there through the night, like the eyes of a giant owl. Otherwise, there have not been many changes. Mr. Schaefer, for instance, looks much the same, except there is a thicker frost of white in his hair, and as the result of a broken ankle, he walks with a limp. It was the captain himself who said that Mr. Schaefer had broken his ankle attempting to capture Tico Feo. 
There was even a picture of Mr. Schaefer in the newspaper, and under it, this caption, Tried to Prevent Escape. At the time, he was deeply mortified. Oh, not because he knew the other men were laughing, but because he thought of Tico Feo seeing it. But he cut it out of the paper anyway and keeps it in an envelope along with several clippings pertaining to his friend. A spinster woman told the authorities he'd entered her home and kissed her. Twice he was reported seen in the mobile vicinity. Finally, it was believed that he had left the country. No one has ever disputed Mr. Schaefer's claim to the guitar. Several months ago, a new prisoner was moved into the sleep house. He was said to be a fine player, and Mr. Schaefer was persuaded to lend him the guitar. But all the man's tunes came out sour. For it was as though Tico Feo, tuning his guitar that last morning, had put a curse upon it. Now it lies under Mr. Schaefer's cot, where its glass diamonds are turning yellow. In the night, his hand sometimes searches it out, and his fingers drift across the strings. Then the world. Good night.